Banjos means it's once again time for Dueling Prospect Mavens. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. The Prospect Mavens in question are our own Mark Hewlett and Brian Smith. This particular edition of the pod, Mr. Hewlett and Smith, help us make sense of the 2010 Major League Baseball Amateur Draft. Though the draft can often be unwieldy and confusing, our experts help us make sense of it. Among the topics on the agenda for today's pod, which teams won and lost the draft? And is that even possible? Which draft picks are unlikely to sign? What are some later picks of note? Who are some players, a la Mike Leake or Drew Storen, that we might see sooner than later in the major leagues? And finally, and perhaps more sprawling, what's the future of the draft, and what is its meaning to the game? The sort of white-hot analysis and more, of course, on this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yeah, 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 it is uh, indeed Fangraphs Audio. We're here, and this is a special 2010 Major League Baseball Draft edition of the pod. Uh, to that end, we have with us our uh, our two um, prospect mavens, or two resident prospect mavens. Um, one of them uh, you'll know because not only is he from the frozen north, um, and not only is he the editor of Rotographs um, here at, at Fangraphs, he's also got a sassy mouth, um, and he's a uh, he's the opposite of a Colby Lewis believer. His name is Mark Hewitt. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, Carson. How are you? Good. Yeah, I was just uh, been following Colby Lewis recently and his uh, strikeout rate and everything. Just watching how good he's been. Uh, you been you been following that, or you been too busy with other things? Just curious. Oh no, I've been following good old Colby, and I mean, I I hate to say I told you so, but clearly I knew a little something about Colby Lewis that you didn't. <laughs> I mean, you were really down so- on him. At, you were really down on him at the beginning of the year, Carson. Oh, but I said, you know, true. you know, and it's you know, uh, it takes a big man uh, to um, to admit that he's wrong, and and luckily I am a giant giant man. You know what? Let's uh, let's let's uh, let's stop talking about that. Let's introduce that other voice that we heard. And, and this is uh, um, he may not be the only person named Smith, uh, but he's I guess he's the only one who writes for Fangraphs, and that's all that's important at this point. He is another prospect maven. He's been all over the interweb uh, to date, but now he's Fangraphs own. His name is Brian Smith. How are, how are you doing, Brian? Good, Carson. I'm wondering if your strikeout rate in wiffle ball is better or worse than Colby Lewis's. My uh, let's see, my strikeout. Rate in wiffle ball is, uh, I would say I'm kind of a two K per inning type guy. Nice. You know, um, I mean, on a bad day, you know, I probably average more than that. Um, you know, I, yeah, I would say if I were to find a comp, it would be it'd be like if Carlos Marmol were a starting pitcher and could do that for, you know, six innings, uh, average length of a. Is that we gotta get it on the. We, we just gotta get it on the internet. I need some proof. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no. no there, is, totally there, there are official scores in wiffle ball, right, Carson? Yeah, there's all all sorts of things in wiffle ball. You know, I mean, if we listen, we can have a wiffle based pod. I'm not afraid of that. You know, and uh, <laughs> what the listener needs to know is that um, both these guys, especially Mark Hewitt, were uh, you know were talking down to me, were demeaning me because I I play in an or, a very organized and very competitive wiffle ball league and. It's not something about which I'm ashamed at all. Uh, and neither are the other grade five students on his team, just so yeah. you know. You know what, though? You kind of outed yourself there by saying grade five. We don't say that in the United States because we have standards. 
Oh, I'm uh, sorry. What is, what is it in, uh, in the U.S.? Grade. We say fifth grade. Fifth grade. Sorry. Yeah, fifth grade. All right. You know what? Let's uh, let's actually start. Let's let's get closer to you guys' area of expertise. All right, and that's uh, prospect mavening. Uh, I thought it was mocking Carson. Well, that's a. Uh, I'm going to say that's a secondary skill for you, Hewlett. Although, Fair enough. <laughs> a pr- prominent one, a prominent secondary skill. Let's let's get to this though. We um, the draft is over. As uh, as of uh, the recording of this particular pod, which uh, we're recording on a Wednesday night, and I'm sure will definitely be posted by, uh, you know, the following Sunday or Monday, uh, if if uh, history has anything to say about that. The pod is over, and you know, while uh, typically on, uh, sorry, the draft is over, and and while typically on the pod, I ask questions as a means to sort of uh, keep conversation going. In this case, I'll be asking questions because I literally have no idea what has just happened. Um, and I, I'm sure that there are some learned fans out there who have some sense, but uh, it is a bit of a mystery. And, and you know what? The thing is with the Major League Draft, what, are we, what is it, 50 rounds? That's a, lot of, that's a lot of men being selected, right? I mean, that's upwards of uh, 1,500 uh, baseball players. Uh, picked and it's hard uh, for the for the average fan or even the above average fan to sort through them all. And that's why you guys are here with us. Before we get into that, before we get into MLB Draft 2010, what's interesting is that as this year's draft was going on, uh, the number one pick in last year's draft, in the 2009 draft, Steven Strasburg was striking out 14 Pirates, right? Which I think provides an interesting uh, entry point into what we're seeing this year and can kind of give us an idea of the relevance of it. We know that Steven Strasburg is, uh, you know, probably a once-in-a-generation talent. Although, you know, although maybe not. You guys might have a different opinion on that. Um, hey, Brian, let's start with you. Just what do you think? What do you sort of find interesting? Obviously, Steven Strasburg is very good. But how, what does it sort of say about the draft and about, you know, the importance of, um, you know, of, of valuing prospects? You know, to see to see Steven Strasburg, um, you know, make his debut and, and perform so well is that just is he totally an exception, or or is his presence now already just you know uh, whatever one year after he was drafted does, it, does that say something about the importance of the draft? Well, I think first of all, it's really good timing and for him to make his debut on the second day of the draft, literally the day after the Washington Nationals got another player who's probably the second highest touted player that we've ever had drafted number one behind Strasburg. So I think it's really good timing for the exposure of the draft. Unfortunately, I think the MLB Network's coverage of the draft looks something to be desired. But it was it was really good timing, and it reminded us that the first round really does produce, generally speaking, the best players. There's exceptions to that rule, but if you look over time... The round that has done the best and the round that produces the most players is the first round. Right, is the first round, right? Uh, uh, Hewlett, do, I mean, do you have anything to, to, to modify that comment? What, was it, you know, was it telling for you that Strasburg, um, you know, um, he performed like that during the actual draft, or, or is he sort of, do you think, an exception um, to that, in, in just sort of a. Uh, you know, a kind of a, a personality all of his own, with an ability all of his own. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely impressive that uh, you know, a year year ago he was he was still in in college, and you know, he came up to the majors and 
completely dominated the Pirates, even if the Pirates are basically a glorified AAA team. Um, you know, it, it was definitely an impressive performance. Um, and we look at the fact that uh, three first-round draft picks from the 2009 draft are all in the majors already. So it's not only Strasburg that's impressing, uh, but it's also Mike Leake and uh, Drew Storen that, uh, you know, it's pretty unprecedented, I think, for, for that many players to be in the majors within a year of being drafted. Right, okay, yeah, and, and already uh, you guys have said a whole bunch of things that I want to touch on. Um, you know, I think the first one, the, the most obvious one, is is Bryce Harper, who uh, once again, with the, with the Washington Nationals selecting first, um, just as they did as you know as they did last year with Strasburg, they went with Bryce Harper. I think a lot of people knew. I mean, it was you know it was kind of common knowledge that Harper was going to go with the number one pick. Smith, you mentioned that he's uh, you know he's uh, I guess he's not once in a lifetime talent because that maybe that moniker belongs to Strasburg. There's been a lot of uh, speculation upon and and prognostication about. Bryce Harper, what sort of talent is he really, though? I mean, I, you did your dreamweaving pick, and uh, you, did, you did a nice little post over at Fangraphs dreamweaving the draft to sort of like say the upside. You said uh, Larry Walker, Sean Green, David Justice; those guys are great. They're not, you know, they're not world-beating guys, but they're great. Uh, you know, they're, they were good players certainly in their day. Do you sort of see that as the upside of uh, as Bryce Harper, or is he going to be the second coming? Well, I think at this point, it, Washington fans might be discouraged if you told them that Sean Green was was all that they were going to get out of Bryce Harper. And I think there is a possibility that he surpasses Sean Green. I think there's a possibility he surpasses Larry Walker. But it's also a good time to remind people to temper expectations that these things don't always work out. That being said, I think of all the ridiculous things we've heard about Bryce Harper in the last year and all the hyperbole he's gotten... I thought it was pretty funny on draft day. He said that he first hit with a wooden bat when he was seven years old, and he did it all the way up to his last his last month of junior college. He's been hitting with wood forever, and it's not often that we get a player that is literally he's he's 18 years old and he has the familiarity with a wood bat that guys don't get until they're 20, 22, 23 years old. He's, Wait, are you saying that even during high school he used a wood bat? Yeah, I mean, he yeah he he used a wood bat during high school, not always during games, but he would play. I mean, he would do batting practices with wooden bats, and and he played in a junior college league this year that uses a wooden bat. So he's he's ready to go. I really think he could be in the major leagues at 19, um, which would be which would put it at 2012, maybe late that year, and then I think he could probably start playing every day in 2013 and. It's it's pretty crazy territory that we've been in the last two years with these guys. Yeah, uh, Hewlett, let's move on to you. Uh, you know, um, Smith here is talking about the possibility of Bryce Harper being a major leaguer. You know, maybe next year. Um, I know Dave Cameron was discussing him. You know, moving out from behind the uh, the plate where you know he's been catching uh, quite a bit, also at the junior college level, maybe going to right field. Obviously, this season we've seen the debut of Jason Hayward, and I think he's probably even exceeded the already lofty expectations that a lot of fans have developed about him. You know, is Bryce Harper, is he a Jason Hayward-type talent? Is he more than that? Is he going to be a right fielder in the major leagues? And uh, and can we expect to see him next year, or should we wait a couple years? 
I think we're gonna. I think it's gonna take a little while for Harper um, to make it to the majors. Uh, not a long time, maybe two years. Um, I'm I'm definitely a little bit worried about the makeup uh, of Bryce Harper. I don't think it's as bad as some of the people have blown it out to be. But you're also talking about a teenage kid who the world is suddenly his oyster. And I mean, he's been a pretty, pretty popular guy for a little while now. Well, that's also true. And in, in Nevada, they don't have, you know, you don't have oysters typically because it's landlocked. <laughs> and so I'm sure he's, he's he's excited for oysters. Fair enough. Yeah, thanks. He, uh, you know, so I, I think that the the Nationals are going to have to be really careful with him. And I, I don't think that you can rush him through the minors quite like Strasburg. Strasburg ha- has really, you know, pretty Im- impressive makeup. Um, same with Jason Hayward, another player with a really exceptional, uh, unusually good makeup for a player, maturity. Um, I, I personally at this point would give a slight edge to Jason Hayward having the better career. And maybe that's a little controversial to say, but at this point, my feeling is that in, in 15 or 20 years that Jason Hayward is still going to be the better player to Bryce Harper. Okay, that seems fair. It seems like also uh, there are cars. Is that Smith, is that in Chicago there? Uh, we, there's a little bit of traffic congestion? No, that would be the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup. Oh. So we might hear some partying outside my window for the duration. Uh, that's shocking that, uh, that Chicagoans are, are using any pretense imaginable to, uh, to hold a party. I'm uh, I'm shocked, quite frankly. Well, well, better they honk their horns than flip the cars, so, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Right, right, right. Well, as long as they don't flip yours, provided you do have one. Uh, before we get on to some of the other players in the draft, I want to uh, look just at one comment, Brian, that you made. You know, you said uh, with regard to Brian, uh, sorry, to uh, to Bryce Harper, we need to remember to to temper our expectations. And if I'm remembering correctly, during the Fangraphs chat, that was kind of a constant refrain from you. And, um, you know, people might get the sense, and of course this is sort of antithetical to the little thought experiment you did with regard to, uh, you know, your dream-weaving the draft article, which looked at the, you know, the sort of rosiest uh, possible view of, uh, of all the selections. You seem to be, and, and Hewlett, I'm sure you're probably also part of the same boat, um, you seem to be sort of dedicated to this idea that we need to constantly remind ourselves that, you know, that just because a guy goes in the first round doesn't mean he's going to uh, save, you know, save his franchise, especially in baseball, you know, where guys are almost always at least a couple years out from uh, from making an impact. I wonder, uh, you know, how do you sort of view you with your, you know, with your um, I guess the degree to which you feel like you have to temper your expectations or people ought to, how do you sort of view that in deference to how, like, the common fan views the typical major league prospect? I mean, is it just for you, is it from working with prospects so often you see how many of them flame out? How have you sort of developed this mantra? Well, I think a lot of people are approaching the draft because of Steven Strasburg and maybe Justin Upton a couple years ago. They're pretty new to the draft, and... And they hear about guys like um, like Karsten Whitson, who went who went ninth overall to the Padres this year, and he pitched. He can touch. They they hear he can touch 95 miles an hour with his fastball. He has plus command and the best slider in the draft. And Padres fans who don't who haven't been around the draft all the time are thinking, well, we have a future ace here. But what they don't realize is that 
a lot of hoops to jump through, and there are a lot of issues that Whitson has that we don't know about yet, and he hasn't faced the quality of people that he's going to face. I mean, there's just so much that lies between getting drafted and making it to the major leagues, unless you're a guy like Mike Leake, that we have to we have to be careful and not think that we have a super superstar right off the bat unless he goes 1-1 and is talked about as a generational talent. Okay, well, let's start with, with Whitson then. We'll get to Hugh in a second. What, what is the deal with Whitson? Your, your sort of uh, your analysis of him, your quick and dirty analysis of him, was a uh, very good slider, projectable velocity, uh, you know, maybe upside of uh, Jeremy Bonderman. I'm hoping that's, you know, Jeremy Bonderman before, uh, you know, before his uh, thoracic outlet situation. Uh, Matt Clement, also, uh, you know, a, a, um, a guy who had problems with injury, actually. I mean, it, are, you, are you saying that Karsten Whitson, uh, oh, sorry, Car- Karsten Whitson, uh, the Padres pick ninth overall, is is he someone who might be susceptible to injury? Um, is he, um, you know, w- what sort of player is he looking at? And, and he went ninth. You know, is he uh, an interesting pick at number nine for that reason because of his upside? I mean, I picked him out of a hat, and I wouldn't say that he's any more susceptible to injury than every other pitcher in this draft is. I mean, that's that's one thing that we've definitely learned is is we called Mark Pryor the cleanest mechanics we'd ever seen coming into the draft, and obviously we know what happened to him. So with pitchers, off the bat, we we can chop off about half of them and say you're going to get injured and not be able to gain your velocity back, and we don't know who those are right now, so all we can do is just say this is the stuff they have now, and scouting directors can just cross their fingers and hope that's not the guy that gets injured. Hewlett, are you uh, with you know with regard to what we've been talking about with Brian here, uh, and compared to Brian, are you more of an optimist or are you more of a pessimist, or do you think you you fall in line right about where where, where Brian does? I think I, I'm pretty much uh, have the same opinion that Brian does. I might be a little bit more cynical, I guess. Um, is that is that because you maybe being Canadian or something like that? It could very well be. Canadian. You know, us Canadians are pretty cynical. Right, I can imagine uh, why. Yeah. <laughs> Been there before. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I prefer to to let the numbers uh, really do the talking. Um, I mean, it, it's a good base to say, yeah, this is what this kid has, this is what he can do. But there's a big there's a big gap between what he can do and what he's doing. So I think before you get too excited about Bryce Harper or too excited about Jamison Talion, you, you have to. You have to let them actually go out there and play some pro ball before you get too excited about them. Okay. Bryce Harper, for one, he's a kid, very talented, but that can be a detriment sometimes too because how is he going to deal with adversity? You know, maybe he'll blow through the low minors, but what happens when he hits double A and you know he's he's hitting two eighteen in in May? How's he going to handle that? That's something we just don't know yet, and uh, you know I think it's something that's going to going to show up sooner or later and. Uh, you know he's going to have to to do some learning and some adjusting, and we just don't know how well he's going to he's going to do with that. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's start to get to uh, to some specific names then, because I think that that will be of uh, paramount concern to the listeners. Uh, Hula, let's go let's go to you first, and we'll start with you. What is uh, what's one name, one pick, um, 
you know that sticks out to you for for whatever reason really you know but one thing when you saw it come up you were you were particularly excited about it or you were aghast that uh, such such a player went where he did you know i was i was pretty um pretty surprised that uh yes money grandall fell to the to the reds at 12 um i think the reds were really excited about that as well um you know as early as the day before the draft uh, there were rumors out there that uh, he had a a deal done with KC. So for him to to go from being uh, you know a lock at number four to being the the twelfth overall pick, that's a pretty big drop. Um, I think Chris Sale uh, falling to thirteen, another pretty big uh, pretty big drop. Uh, as for surprises, uh, I know Brian will probably want to touch on it, but you have Hayden Simpson at sixteen to the Cubs. Um, another shock to me was uh, fellow Canadian Kellen Deglin uh, going to the the Rangers at 22. He was linked to to the Blue Jays and the Red Sox in the supplemental round, but uh, nobody really expected him to have that pre-draft deal worked out with the Rangers. Um, and uh, so that was another uh, pretty big surprise for me. Okay, so so that's a couple. Uh, this is some first round guys. Uh, Smith, you you described uh, Yasmani Grandel as uh, as Mickey Tettleton circa 88 through 96. That's a pretty great upside. Is that uh, What's the likelihood of something like that happening? Well, one of the reasons I did that in the article is we just don't have a lot of guys that were good power-hitting switch hitters in the major leagues that caught. And and I've seen Grandal play. He's a, he's a very good defensive catcher. I mean, he's... He's sort of been picked on a little bit this spring, as, as people do. You, you start to look for weaknesses, and people have picked apart certain parts of his game, but he's pretty polished behind the plate, and he can hit a fastball a long way from both sides of the plate. Those are those are unique skills that we haven't seen a lot in major leaguers, so I can see getting excited about him, but again, I wonder how he hits with the bat. I wonder how he's going to deal with breaking pitches. Like Mark said, we got to start seeing some numbers before we can really project him to be like a guy like Tettleton. Okay, and uh, what about for you? Any any picks uh you know it doesn't matter the round but any any names that stand out to you uh especially relative to uh, where they went in the draft well i think I, I think a couple of the high school guys that fell forever are always surprising because we hear a lot about bonus demands in the week before the draft what, how much money are high school guys going to ask for and our team's going to meet that demand and it's a calculated risk three years ago matt harvey came out of high school and he said he wanted three million dollars and it no one took him until the third or fourth round the angels did and they didn't pay him so he went to north carolina for three years and all of a sudden he gets popped seventh overall by the mets so we saw a couple high school kids this year austin wilson he dropped i think to the 12th round to the cardinals chris bryant is a power hitting third baseman who ended up not going to the 18th round he's probably going to go to the university of san diego so I think it's interesting to see which high school guys teams decide to buy out of their college commitments and which guys the scouts say, well, I want to see what you do for three years in college, and then I'll reevaluate you in 2013. Now, those two players you mentioned, for example, who were, uh, you know, uh, you know, they dropped, uh, are those players that might be candidates for a way above slot uh, signing bonus, or are those guys almost definitely going to go to uh, to colleges? Well, I think what they're going to do is they're going to set a number, and 
they aren't going to go very far beneath. I, Austin Wilson, the Cardinals pick, was was a guy before the draft. The Blue Jays at 11, there were a lot of rumors that they might draft him, but everyone knew he was going to ask for the moon. And at the end of the day, no one wanted to take that risk. Um, and Chris if you Bryant, had the moon, I mean, if you had the moon, what would you do with it? Because it controls our tides. And <laughs> you know what I mean? It's pretty essential to planet Earth in general. I, I can't imagine that any sort of uh, environmentalist would be would be fond of that. And well, it'd be hard for the Cardinals to deliver that for Austin Wilson, certainly. Yeah, I mean... But I, and then another guy is Zach Lee for the Dodgers. I mean, Zach Lee is one of the best quarterback recruits in the nation. He has a commitment to LSU, and he's already said that he wants to know by the start of minicamp, whether he's going to Baton Rouge or he's going to give up football and play baseball. So the Dodgers took an absolute, either they took a risk and think they have a shot at signing Lee, or because of the McCourt's divorce, they decided we're going to take a guy that we can look like we're, we're trying to sign and then in two months say we didn't get anything worked out. Yeah, and I noticed uh, in that same dreamweaving article, uh, you, you know, you made it clear that you didn't think he was going to sign and you were getting some uh, you were catching some flack from Dodgers fans but you I mean what would you say if you were to put the uh, the odds at him signing for the Dodgers what would you put them at uh, 25% I mean he's he just he it makes a lot of sense for him to go to college to pitch a little bit for LSU but not much but to play quarterback for a couple of years and then in a couple of years he can reevaluate and say do I want to try to go for the NFL and make my millions there? Do I want to go back into the Major League Baseball draft? Because Lord knows he's a good baseball prospect, and in three years teams are still going to want him. It seems to me that he, especially more so than a guy like Chris Bryant, the high school kid who's just a power-hitting third baseman, he has a lot more to gain in the next three years than any of the other high school kids. Okay. Uh, th- here's the thing I want to talk about you guys with. Uh um, we mentioned Mike Leake earlier in this um, in the pod, and I'm curious if you guys might identify for us, um, you know, some guys who like Mike Leake might be major league ready sooner than later. You know, Leake was selected, um, and and he actually uh, he made the team right out of camp, having pitched exactly zero innings of minor league ball. Um, and he's now actually succeeding with the Reds. Hula, let's start with you. Is is there anyone you can think of in this draft who might have a, a Mike Leake or um, or I don't know a Drew Storen type of uh, makeup, or is this a different draft altogether? Yeah, I can't think of, of many players that that had the chance of doing that. Um, you know, one of Brian's guys, Alex Wimmers, he's an advanced pitcher. Um, Deck McGuire that Toronto took, he's an advanced pitcher, although I don't think he's quite advanced enough to zoom through the minors. Um, now, beyond say, those guys... Say, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but when you say um, when you say he's an advanced pitcher, what, what does that mean exactly? Just in in his skill, the skill level that he's at, can you know can he compete at the higher levels of pro ball within within the next six to twelve months? Um, Wimmers maybe. Uh, Maguire, um, probably not. I mean, best case, maybe he's at double A mid next year. Um, 
so I really don't see I don't just flipping through the first round of the draft, the second round, I don't see any names that really jump out as guys that are are ready to really uh, help out a team at the major league level within the next 12 months. The same, the same way that we saw this year. Uh, Smith, is that basically the case for you too? Uh, I mean, do you, would you like to contradict uh, Hewlett here? I mean, I, I could think of a number of reasons to contradict him, um, but they're not related to this particular point. Well, a lot of the time the guys that we see do this are relievers, and this was a really weak draft for college relievers. There, there wasn't a lot of... Um, Guys that teams thought were going to zoom through the minors, and as a result, we didn't see a college reliever drafted in the first round for the first time in I don't know how many years. It's probably been a decade. Um, so, I, I mean, everyone that reads fan graphs knows I really like Alex Wimmers, and he throws a plus-plus changeup, has a plus curveball, and commands his fastball. So I would think that could work in the major leagues fairly soon, but it's probably going to work in 2012 and not 2011. And that's a that's a Twins pitcher. Is this guy, uh, Alex Wimmers, is he, you know, there's definitely, be, more than any team, I would even say, except maybe for the Cardinals, who are sort of famous now, uh, you know, with Dave Duncan for crafting sinker ballers, the Twins definitely seem to have cultivated a type of pitcher, you know, between Scott Baker, Kevin Slowey, uh, you know the the most recent uh, incarnation of uh, Carl Pavano. There is a Twins type of pitcher, which is a low walk guy who pounds the strike zone. Maybe doesn't have a ton in the way of stuff, but is definitely able to uh, control a game uh, simply by not allowing too many base runners. Is that is that the sort of guy that Wimmers is, or or is he a sort of a departure from that Twins mold? <laughs> Now, the Twins' first four picks this year were as typical as it gets for the Twins draft. I mean, we could have we could have predicted it easily. They went with Wimmers and Pat Dean in the third round, who's a left-handed pitcher from Boston College, who even gets compared to Glenn Perkins. So they went with two college pitchers that command the strike zone well. And then in the second round, they went with a shortstop from Georgia that no one's ever heard of that has all sorts of tools. And in the fourth round, they put, picked a Puerto Rican outfielder, which they've done many times before, including... Angel Morales, who's in their minor league system now. The Twins are a team that has a philosophy, and they stick to it, and it works amazingly well. And as I said on draft day, it's one of the reasons why we've ranked their organization so highly this offseason. Just because they, yeah. And in fact, I remember, you know, one of the sort of tenets of uh, Bill James in the, in the early days of Sabermetrics was if a team has a philosophy, that already gives them a giant advantage. I mean, do you think that's the case also for prospecting? I mean, it's a market inefficiency. It's it's what Moneyball is about, and the Twins are the exact opposite of everything that Michael Lewis wrote about. But they they scout better than anyone else in the major leagues. And what they do is they refine themselves to scouting college pitchers and high school hitters. But they do it so well that it doesn't matter because they're going to get a couple major leaguers out of every draft. That's interesting. That's great stuff. Uh, okay, and finally, I you know you know we might have. Um other places to go, but the, the thing I need to ask uh, before we before we get off this pod is to is to ask, and I'm sure that uh, you know those listeners of the pod who who are fans of teams will want to know this too. Is if is if there's such thing, you know, if there are winners and losers in the draft, um, you know, is it possible to say when you know when looking at a team's uh, selections that this team has has done very well or very poorly in the draft, um, and that might be 
you know, based on skill, based on signability. Quite frankly, I don't know what else it could be based on. Hugh, let's start with you. You know, are there teams in this draft that have have either won or lost based on the draft, or is it impossible to know that? I don't think you can go to the extreme either way of saying X team won or Y team lost. You know, uh, in the draft at this point, I think it's something we'll know in four to six years. We'll have a better idea at least. I think you can say. Based on the information we have in front of us right now, I like this team's draft, um, or I don't like this team's draft. I think that's fair to say, um, but I don't think you can say there's been winners or losers. You look at what teams had nice drafts. Obviously, Washington had a nice draft. You you get a, a pick like Bryce Harper. That pretty much makes the draft, regardless of what you do. Um, and they went out. They they picked up some other nice names later on. Uh, Sammy Solis is in the second round. He's a pretty solid college player. What's his name, um, fourth. Sam, Sammy Solis? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a nice uh, a pitcher that uh, might move somewhat quickly through the system and the Nationals definitely need pitching. So it makes sense for them to take a guy like that after they take a, a big ceiling player like Harper. And then they got another nice uh, high school arm in the fourth round if they can get him signed away from his college commitment. Pirates did exceptionally well, uh, getting probably the two best high school arms in the draft uh, with their first and second round picks. Um, and uh, I'm a pretty big fan of their third round pick too, Mel Rojas Jr. Um, not a huge ceiling guy. He's probably a good regular, but uh, he's a fast guy. I like him. Uh, so I think the Pirates had a solid draft uh, from what we know at this point. Um, and I can't really say too much about what teams had really bad drafts. Um, you know, obviously there's the teams that had the shocks, like the Chicago Cubs, the the New York Yankees didn't make a huge splash. Not a big, personally, not a big fan of some of the picks the Giants made. But again, uh, we'll know we'll know better down the road. Yeah, that's interesting uh, to me. That the sort of even as a uh, prognosticator such as yourself, you have to sort of. Uh, I guess the um, compulsion on your part to temper, uh, well, I mean, beyond tempering expectations, but also tempering um, criticism, right? Uh, you know, because I, I don't know. Is it, I mean, for you, Hewitt, is it a sense of humility? You know, that, that certain teams might have a way of going about things that you don't necessarily understand at the time. Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are teams that draft a certain way that I don't necessarily understand or agree with, but it, it works for them uh, most of the time, and there's a reason why they take that approach. And for me to say, wow, that's a stupid approach, or that approach doesn't work, that, that, that does, it doesn't make any sense, because who am I to say I, I know better than the Chicago Cubs? Because uh, they've got a lot of smart people that work for them. So obviously there's a good reason why they made the choices that they did. We don't understand it right now. But in three years, we may be celebrating Hayden Simpson. You, you just never know. And that's one of the reasons why, when I did the the top ten list last last winter, that I left out the 2009 draft picks. Uh, and because even with this August 15th deadline now, there's so many fewer first-round picks that are getting in and getting 200 at-bats or 50 innings pitched uh, by the end of their draft year. Uh, because they're holding out till the end of, until mid-August, and the minor league season ends 
at the end of August. So you've got about two weeks after a lot of these players are signing to actually see them in pro ball. So it's hard to, to gauge, to really give them a fair gauge and say, yeah, this guy is like the third best prospect in the system. Well, why are we saying that? We're saying that because that's what everybody else is saying. That doesn't necessarily make it true. Interesting, interesting stuff. Brian, uh, I mean, do you feel that uh, similar uh, compulsion, you know, uh, essentially like a, or maybe anxiety not to pass judgment on a, on a franchise? And then you know, that's for question one. Question two is, are there any winners uh, in this draft for you? Uh, or well, or do, you, do you think it's, uh, you know, I mean, is it, is it hard to tell one from the other? Well, I agree with Mark, and I would point out that Mark and I don't see very many, if any, of the of the prospects before the draft, but we also don't see a lot of the prospects that we rate that are in the minor leagues. The difference is that in the minor leagues, we can trust those statistics. We've proven that there's a correlation between the statistics in the minor leagues and what it might lead to in the major leagues. That's not true with college and high school. So when Mark and I approach a prospect, we are literally going off anonymous scouting reports, sites that I like a lot, but like Baseball America and MinorLeagueBaseball.com, they they post these scouting reports that they get from scouts that are in the business. We don't know the scouts. We, you know, we haven't seen those players ourselves. There's a big disconnect between us not being able to see someone but having numbers that we trust and us being able to see somebody and just having to trust an anonymous source. So that's why when Hayden Simpson goes in the first round and no one understands it, we just, I mean, Tim Wilkins is a great scouting director, and if he thinks that Hayden Simpson is the 16th best player in the draft, then I'm just going to wait two years and see if he's right. Right, okay. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess that's interesting. It's the idea of being able to con- convert or you know, mentally convert um, you know, all the factors that contribute to a, you know, a young man being a baseball prospect, converting that into you know, whatever he might be worth, you know, whatever, whether it's his uh, first six years in the, in the majors or his career in the majors, depending on you know, if you're looking at it from a team-controlled point of view or if you're looking at it from a career point of view either way I, I guess it's an interesting point you bring up and I, and I think it should be a lesson to our listeners too um, the degree to which you know Hewlett and uh, Smith here are employing restraint uh, in in their you know two of the guys you know around fangraphs who you know, I mean these, these are the two guys who are most knowledgeable about this um, before anyone, you know, gets big ideas about, you know, what is a success or is not a success in the draft, uh, you know, be be, uh, be clear about heeding this uh, this lesson about restraint and uh, and expectations. Uh, well, this has been great stuff, guys. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And like I said, uh, you know, all these questions I've been asking is 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 uh, maybe you know it's an advantage almost. It's out of pure ignorance, just because um, as you guys have mentioned that the. The draft is just such an overwhelming thing, you know. Between you know, talking about over 1,500 people to uh, to sort out. Obviously, you know, the later rounds aren't of vital importance. Although you know, you do find guys there too. Um, it le- just one question to sort of finish things up. Um, you know, we've sort of been talking about the draft and and its meaning, and uh, you know, we're looking at Strasburg and and Harper as. Uh, you know these sort of giants of the draft and, and their significance to it. What is the uh, and this is a broad question, so I you know I apologize in advance. But what is the sort of 
future of the draft, you know? Um, is this going to become, uh, I mean, as an event, is it, is it going to become a bigger deal like the college or NBA draft? And just as its uh, significance to baseball, is it is it on the way up because teams understand the importance of having prospects, uh, you know, and, and having cheaper talent? Smith, I'll go to you, I'll, I'll go uh, to you first. There, the future of the draft. I mean, you know, just any aspect of it you'd care to comment on. Well, I think as an event, it's going to change very soon. The next collective bargaining agreement, they've decided they have to address it. I mean, that's that's something. The last couple collective bargaining agreements they've sort of ignored because there's bigger issues because they don't want to strike. But this time around, they're not going to have a strike. There's really no, there's no rumors about that. There's no worries. So they've decided that this is the time that they have to finally, once and for all, improve this thing and make it a little more usable. And maybe we're going to have draft picks getting traded. Maybe we're going to have an international draft. And all of those things are going to make it more television-friendly. And maybe uh, all these guys trying out to be the next Mel Kuyper will find one that the audience really likes. And, and who knows, maybe a couple down, years down the line, we can have an event that is a lot of fun to watch, and, and I hope we do. Uh, is, it, is it a requirement to have the same hairstyle as Mel Kuyper uh, in order to, to take hold of that position, do you think? I don't know. I'd like to Photoshop Kuiper's hair on Jim Callis and see see what kind of <laughs> what kind of look that might be for him. That might be too much sexy all in one uh, confined area. So we'll, we'll, let's leave that off uh, the agenda for the time being. Hewlett, how about for you? The, the the future of the draft and and what it might mean to baseball if it becomes an event, or uh, you know just its significance to the game. I don't. I don't think it's ever going to be a, as big. Uh, publicly as as the football draft or some of the other ones. Um, Whoa. <laughs> well, okay, duly noted, I guess. <laughs> the end of round one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. Continue, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think it's ever going to be quite as, as big uh, as some of the, the other drafts just because, I mean, the um, amateur baseball is, is not as big as amateur football or, or even basketball. And, you know, it's also a draft where you've got 50 rounds. Um, so just the nature of the beast lends itself to being less attractive to the public, I guess. Um, plus, I mean, I mean, Major League Baseball really does have to schnaz things up a bit uh, with their coverage, um, and maybe they can convince Bud Selig to stop being the announcer on it, um, that would be probably a big step forward. Yeah, right. One um, of the least likable people in the world, probably. <laughs> I mean, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's painful to watch him when, when he's doing that, and you know, <laughs> who wants to watch Bud Selig announcing names? Like, really. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some interesting things they can do to to liven up the draft, like trading draft picks. You know, they're going to talk about, you know, the international draft, and I had a piece on Fangraphs today just tossing out another idea, you know, maybe having a, a second draft uh, later in the year for the, the international, you know. Um, it's another option. It's something to think about at least. Um, the, the draft used to be, there used to be two, three drafts in a year, um, so it's not that uh, far out of an idea. Um, so there's definitely a lot of interesting things they could do. Um, I think the draft teams do realize it's uh, 
really important way uh, to save money. It's a lot uh, cheaper to develop your own talent than it is to go out there and and sign free agents. So I think uh, as time goes on, it's definitely not going to become any less valuable to teams. Uh, it's just a matter of how much we can sell it to the public. Right. And you, well, one one thing I would say as far as selling it to the public goes, it's it helps. The Baltimore Orioles are a disgrace this year, and I think it's a nice thing that nowadays we can point out to Orioles fans, hey, Anthony Rendon is the top prospect in this year's draft. He's another guy that you're going to hear a lot of hype about over the next year. The teams that stink this year, it, it's nice for those fan bases to be able to have something to look forward to. So I hope from that perspective maybe the draft gains some popularity. Duly noted. Hey, guys, thank you so much for helping me and hopefully the uh, the wide readership understand exactly what has happened uh, over these last three days. Uh, so to you first, Mark Hewlett, thank you for joining us, sir, from the frozen north. Thank you, my wiffle ball king friend. You are a jerk. And additionally, <laughs> uh, thank you to Brian Smith, I guess uh, living in the land of the uh, newly crowned Stanley Cup champions. I'm sure you're a proud, proud citizen. Oh, it's going to be a rough couple of days, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Well, uh, that's probably the case. Uh, it's going to be a rough couple of days for you, but not for those people who are uh, uh, able to listen to this edition of the podcast. Um, and on that note, I'd like to remind everyone that I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli, and this has once again been a white-hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thank you.